really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. And we believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Okay, so we are thinking today about our omnipotent God. Omnipotent means all-powerful. He has power in every area of our life, whether we can feel it or not. And that's what we're thinking about today. So Darcy, do you want to explain what we're doing? So we're going to be covering this, great is our Lord and mighty in power. And then at the back, you're going to be doing a word search. Um, then you've got a piece of string and like what, what's it called? And a keychain, and then you're going to cut these words out and then stick them onto the keychain. Okay, brilliant. So that's what you're doing today, thinking about our all-powerful God. Thank you, Darcy. I think she deserves a round of applause for all her work. <laughs> Wonderful. So, God is all-powerful. And there was a discussion going on earlier on in the week between Betty and Bertie about who was, what God was and how powerful he was. Do you know what? There's so many times that I just need to apologise to this church and this is one of them. I just really apologise. But let's watch Betty and Bertie now. Hi, Betty. Hi, Bertie. How are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. But you know, I missed you at church last week. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I was at the gym. Betty, you were at the gym? Yes, I was doing exercise. You, at the gym, doing exercise? Yes, I'm in training. You, at the gym, doing exercise, in training. Right, this is getting insulting. You don't need to sound so surprised. Well, Betty, I am. The only place in the gym I've ever seen you is the cafe. And the only exercise you normally get is another bar of chocolate. Yeah, I guess that's true, but that has all changed. Hmm, and why is that? I want to appear on the TV. There's this programme called The Most Powerful Feats. It's amazing. The Most Powerful Feats? They've got a whole programme about feet? I could go on it, actually. My feet are pretty powerful. Your feet are powerfully smelly. No, not that sort of feat. Feat as in accomplishments. Mm. They interview people that have done powerful, awesome things. Mm, that's interesting. What sort of things, Betty? Well, they interviewed this woman. She was the fastest ever up the tallest mountain. It only took her 26 hours. Wow, you've got a long way before you can do that, Betty. Yeah. But then there was this man, and he supported 11 people on his back. Wow, that's amazing. I can only put one person in the and they usually fall over. I know, but the best one was there was this man, and he picked up 13 kilograms of weights uh, just using uh, his tongue. Uh, that's gross, Betty. I'm sorry. What are you watching? Mm, so what powerful feat are you hoping to do? 
No, I'm not going to tell you. You'll only laugh. Ah, uh, go on, you will. I won't laugh, I won't. OK, I'm going to bait the world's largest quiche. Ah, oh, Betty, that's so disappointing to hear. And definitely not something to laugh about. Even the smallest quiche is disgusting. No, this is going to be great. The only problem is it has to have 2,000 eggs in it. It's hard enough finding a dozen eggs at the moment. Mm, yes, you might have to put that on hold forever. Anyway, what's our message about? Quiche? No! David is going to talk about the omnipotent God. Omni what? Omnipotent. That means all-powerful. Because God is powerful enough to make all the chickens that lay the eggs for all your quiches. He's powerful enough to move the mountains that the lady climbed up and you're going to climb up. And of course he's powerful enough to carry more than 11 people. Cool. Do you know what, Bertie? I think I'll go to church instead of the gym next time. Mm, great idea. Betty? Yes, Bertie? Do you think God is powerful enough to do anything about my smelly feet? Oh, Bertie. Oh, there you go. Should I give up my day job? Huh? Start a whole new career there? I'm sure many of you know Kerry writes those sketch, sketches herself. We, we don't get those anywhere. Things I'm dragged into. I, I don't know, I've tried to get rid of Bertie, but he follows me around like I don't know what. Let's pray, and then we'll look at God's word. Father, we thank you that, that when we come at your presence, there is joy. We, we can laugh. We know that you, Jesus, you were full of the Holy Spirit and joy. And Father, you want us to have joy in your presence, to, to know your pleasure, to know your delight. Father, we, we look at your word today and as we think about you being omnipotent, but you being all-powerful, Lord, I pray that in our hearts would be gripped by this truth so that we can live it out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the story of the kid who's sitting drawing, as kids often love to do, and the parent comes and trying to encourage them and, and says, oh, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing God. Oh, that, that's really interesting because no one really knows what God looks like. Well, they will now. <laughs> and you admire the confidence of kids that they can just express that. So, so really, what is God like? Last week, we started a series looking at, that we'll be looking at over the summer called God Is. And we looked at the fact that God is eternal. And one of the, the blessings that we have from that is that because he is eternal, we are eternally loved. It's that agape love, that divine love. As some version put it, we are dearly loved by God. It's not an average love, it's a self-sacrificing love of God. And the second truth we're looking at this week is the fact that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And that's the consistent witness of Scripture. Right from the start, God is, is shown to be a powerful God. The Bible starts without explanation of God, without discussion about His origin. In the beginning... You should know this bit. Let's try it again. In the beginning... God. 
God created the heavens and the earth and right from then on it begins to unpack his nature. Job, which is thought to be the, the oldest book in the Old Testament actually, this is what Job said, Job 26, 14. These are just the beginning of all he does, merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? Isn't that incredible that that the worlds that we see and the galaxies that we see and all of creation, that they know a minuscule amount about still. It's, It's a whisper of his power. Joshua comes and says some of the implications of that when talking about God acting with his people. He said, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You see, the truths about God aren't some abstract things. They're they're not just, the Bible is not primarily a theology book. Though we get good theology from it. It's revealing the nature and character of God so that we live it out. So that we work it out. So that we come to that place where we fear God with reverential awe. That we recognize that he is God. Psalm 33 says this. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans Stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Isn't that good to know? In, in a world that's chaotic at times, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's good to know Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Do you know that's what the Bible says? Everyone is without excuse in terms of understanding that there is a God. Because his divine nature and power is displayed in creation for anyone who wants to see it. Why is this important for us? I think it's important for a couple of reasons. God's power, the fact that he is omnipotent, means that he deserves our worship and loving obedience. He deserves our worship and loving obedience. And in the, in John, who, who was called the beloved disciple, mainly by John, as it happens. <laughs> True. He, he identified himself as the, the beloved disciple. So it's John who gets this revelation that because of who God is, because of who Jesus is, then the only correct response is worship and loving obedience. That's, that's the right attitude we have. John 4, verse 24, from the words of Jesus himself. Those who worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. As one version says, those who worship me must worship me with all they have in the pursuit of truth. That's why worship and sung worship and coming together can't be a casual arrangement. It has to be something that's thoughtful. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's every part of our body. It's not getting through a set list or song list till we we get to the chocolate biscuits at the end. It's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Pursuing truth with all that we are. Again, John records that Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commands. If you want to know if you love God... Don't ask how good you're singing. Don't ask how high you can raise your hands. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. 
And why is that? 1 John 5, 3. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus himself said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Sometimes the enemy puts places stuff on us. Sometimes it's our circumstances that put a sense of heaviness. But in terms of what God says, loving him means keeping his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because when we're born again, when we're a follower of Jesus, there is that want to. There is that desire to love him. There is that desire to serve him. There is that desire to honor him. It's not a, a, a kind of a teenage tantrum. Oh, I have to. <laughs> no, we get to worship God. We get to worship the God who spoke and the worlds were formed. The heart of the gospel is submitting to the lordship of Jesus. It's becoming a wholehearted disciple. It's not about a decision. The end of August, we'll be traveling up in a coach. I'll say more about that later. We'll be traveling up to the XL Center, hearing Franklin Graham, Billy's son, and he'll call people forward to make a decision to follow Christ. But it's not simply about that initial decision. It's a discipleship. It's a lifestyle. Because disciple means an apprentice. We are apprentices of Jesus. It's a whole life commitment that he's asking for us, of us. This is what it means to do in every area of our life. In our habits. In our hurts. And in our hang-ups. Every area of our life. Worship and loving obedience. Secondly, I think it's important that we recognize God's power, his omnipotence, because it means our hearts can be secure in him. You see, if our our view of God is too small, we're not going to trust him. We're not going to trust him in the good times and when the bad times come, and they will. It's just the nature of life, isn't it? Man is born to trouble as as the sparks fly upward, isn't that what Solomon said? So life brings its own complexities. Even Jesus said, listen, in this world you're going to have trouble. But be encouraged, take courage, because I've overcome the world. And the very nature and character and power of God is what gives us that confidence. Again, scripture comes and helps us. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. God is not unreliable. God is not like us. Well, sometimes we feel like it. <laughs> sometimes we don't. <laughs> sometimes we feel like praising. Sometimes we don't. We're, we're fickle, aren't we? We're fickle. Even in the, when it comes to God, we can be fickle sometimes. But God is not a man that he should lie. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. And honestly, who or what is your place of safety? If it's the church, you're in trouble. Because though some people think I live here, I don't. (laughs) It's not my house. The church isn't open 24-7. No one can be there for you 24-7 apart from the Lord. He's the one who's your place of safety. He's the one who's your rock. He is the one who's the fortress. He is the one you have to turn to. Which is why the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. John 14 verse 1 
The last night of, of Jesus before his crucifixion, he's talking to the disciples. And again, he's explaining to them that they're going to experience grief. They're going to experience loss. He's leaving them. And, and they, they don't understand it. They don't grasp it. They never expected that of Messiah in any, any way. And Jesus comes and says some of those famous words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus has a track record. <laughs> in fact, do you know, the Bible says that Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus isn't dead. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that incredible? You're never forgotten, folks. You may think that others forget you or, or your kids don't return that text or that phone call and you have to text them and, and say, I'm just checking, are you still alive? <laughs> Sue, get used to it. <clears throat> You'll have to chase your boys up. But God's not like that. Jesus is always living, praying and interceding for us. But truthfully, what happens in our experience is, is we come and we wrestle with that and we ask a couple of important questions. Questions like this. If God is omnipotent, if he is all-powerful, then why doesn't he sort out the mess in this world? People say that, don't they? People look at that. People wrestle that. Maybe in your own experience you've said that. And people think that maybe God has lost his grip on the world. That history is spinning out of control with all the corruptions, the scandals, the financial crisis, the heat waves. Though I must say not around here. But have you seen the temperatures around the world even over this weekend? That's crazy. And sometimes people think that maybe God is out of control because the world is so chaotic. But the Bible affirms that leaders, even governmental leaders, even the G7 and all those powerful nations of the world, they only operate under God's sovereign control. They're under God's power. They're under God's control. They're not making it up for themselves. And maybe you think about China or Iran or Russia and North Korea and you look at, at these countries and you, you think they seem to be running things. I, I watched a program recently about China allegedly having access to a lot of the security cameras in this country because they've made a lot of them. It's scary if half of that is true. And we can easily get into this kind of chaos theory that the world's out of control. And the Bible's very clear, it's not. It's not out of control. It may be out of our control, but it's in God's control. Turn with me to a couple of scriptures. They're on the screen for you. I'll read them out if you don't have a Bible with you. But if you have your phone... Or if you're old school and you have a physical Bible, I still encourage that as well. And to bring one to church. Proverbs 21 verse 1. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Listen, don't think that Putin or whoever the name of the guy in charge of China is, I can't remember. They're not in control of things. It's God who's directing men's affairs. It's God who's directing the affairs of history. He will bring it to the conclusion he wants. And if you think, well, what about the superpowers? Well, turn to Daniel chapter 2. 
Daniel chapter 2, Daniel's dealing with the superpower of the day. He's dealing with the nation of Babylon. They were the superpower. And the king has these disturbing dreams. And, and Daniel comes and begins to interpret for him. Let's, let's pick up. Let's pick up at verse 36, actually. Daniel says to the king, that was the dream. Now we will tell you, king, what it means. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven, the God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you ruler over all the inhabitants, inhabited world, and has even put the wild animals and birds under your control. Who's in control? It's God. It's not the king. He's only got a limited time under God's sovereign power and direction. He would be the one that would die. In fact, God humbled him. And if you know anything of Daniel, you'll know in that famous song by Ron Canoli, Ancient of Days. Because there is an everlasting kingdom. And it's not Nebuchadnezzar. Where's Nebuchadnezzar now? Where's Genghis Khan? Where's all the great nations? Where's all the great empires? They're gone. And and Daniel actually picks through the the book of Daniel all of those visions of all the great empires and nations. Where are they now? They're gone. But we have an everlasting kingdom. That's what Hebrews says to us. Romans 13 verse 1. Paul's talking in a very difficult situation. The Romans... Were great at many things, but they weren't good in how they dealt with their enemies. They weren't good at how they dealt with non Christians. In fact, there's a famous saying that, that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And this is quite a graphic image, so put your hands over your ears if you kids. But he used Christians as human torches to light up the city. That's how cruel he was. And yet Paul comes and says, Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Even the ones we don't like. (laughs) Even the ones that challenge us. Even the ones that persecuted Christians. God says through the Apostle Paul, I've even placed those Governments in place. So be careful how you respond to them. Now that doesn't mean the governments always do the right things, does it? No. We know that's not true. We see it in our own country. But the point is this. No government, no leader, no power on this earth can overwhelm the power of God or take circumstances out of his control. That's good news. That's good news for us. If you're not sure, read the last book of the Bible. Read how it ends. I've read to the end. Jesus wins in the end. But there's suffering along the way. There is. And and the book of Revelation talks about a church that's suffering. And Jesus comes and says, listen, I know and I see that you're having the battle. But to him who overcomes. Isn't that what Kerry read earlier from Revelation 21? To him who overcomes. To him who is able to endure. They're the ones that will receive the crown. So even in the midst of governments not doing God's will. God will hold them to account one day. 
In the meantime, we wrestle when it seems as if evil prospers. And sometimes it does seem as if evil prospers. Let's just be honest about that. Let's not pretend it does seem as if evil prospers. Remember last week when we talked about God being eternal? We need an eternal perspective on this. We need to have a different perspective beyond the short span of our lives or our pain or our trouble. And David did in Psalm 73. David's wrestling very distinctly with, with this whole idea of God, why is it my enemies are seeming to prosper? Psalm 73, if you have your Bible. But as for me, I've lost my footing. My feet are slipping. I was almost gone. Those who are proud, those who prosper despite their wickedness, verse 3, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are healthy and strong. And, and David goes on and he talks about all the things that the wicked seems to prosper. And he's wrestling with God. But then in verse 17... Then, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally understood the destiny of the wicked. See, that's why it's important we know who God is. That's why it's important we know that God is an eternal God, because there is a day of justice. There is a day of reckoning for everyone. Each man will have to give an account before God. Scripture's clear on that. So that's why it's important you forgive because you need to forgive people and let them off your hook but they're never off God's. God will hold them to account because there is an eternal perspective. There is a day of reckoning in God's but we need a bigger picture and we need to leave judgment to God. We need to lead, leave him to deal but he, he is the omnipotent God. Now here's the thing for us. Does evil prosper? Well, truthfully, it looks as if in the short term, evil prospers. But the key is it doesn't have to prosper in our life. It doesn't have to prosper in our life. Paul writes to the church in Ephesians 4 and he says, do not give the devil a foothold. Have you noticed that if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. Every thought that you allow him to plant in your mind, he'll just spiral that down and down. Have you ever noticed how your thinking spirals downward sometimes? It starts from maybe one thought, which is why Paul says, take every thought and make it captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Because it's a thought like that's where our major spiritual battle is. Don't give the devil a foothold in your thinking. And there's an incredible verse in John 14, verse 30. John 14, verse 30. We know the last supper, all that's happening around that verse. 30 says this. I don't have much time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. But I will do what the Father requires me so the world will know that I love the Father. Various translations render it in different ways. Some say he has no claim on me, no hold over me, the NIV says. He has nothing in me, the, the New American Standard, which is probably the most literal translation 
uh, that, that you can get. Jesus is coming saying, the devil has nothing in me. He doesn't have a foothold. He doesn't have a landing strip. There's no area of my life that he can come in and say, I have a right to be there because you've allowed me. I find that incredible. And Jesus goes on to say, listen, Satan has no control because I'm going to submit to doing the will of God. For Jesus, that meant the way of the cross. He had an option out. He had a get out clause. Remember when the devil came and tempted him? Listen, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me. If you, if you go the way other than the way of the cross. But Satan had no control because Jesus Christ willingly gave himself. He wasn't killed. He wasn't taken. He gave himself and he said it. I willingly give my, I willingly lay down my life for the sake of the sheep. Satan had no valid accusation against Christ. There was no area in his thinking. There was no area in his habits where Satan could come and say, ah, but, <laughs> ah, come on now, Jesus, now. You know what's happening here. There was no area that he could accuse him on. And we know that's exactly what the enemy comes and does with us. He's called the accuser of God's people. He's looking to accuse you. He'll tempt you. He'll deceive you. And then when you give in to it, he accuses you. But you don't have to. Because Paul says we have the law of the spirit of life living in this. We don't have to give in to that because Jesus didn't. Satan had no authority to keep Jesus in a state of death. Jesus had to volunteer his body to death. But he did so on the understanding of what it says in the Psalms. You will not let your Holy One see decay. Jesus held on to that promise. He knew whatever he did that was in the Father's will, as he submitted to God, as he let his body voluntarily be crucified, he knew he wouldn't see decay. Satan had no authority. If you've ever watched the land, the witch in the wardrobe, and you see that scene where, where Aslan is, is stripped and they kill him, and they're dancing around him, and they think this is finished, and, and even Lucy, Peter, and, and the others, they think it's all over. But then, <laughs> on the third day, he rose again. Death, death has no hold over him. And because Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, we can have confidence that we too will be raised. Satan had no share in Jesus' divine nature. See, that's the thing we have to learn. Satan is a created being. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He can't do everything. He is a created being. And do you know what the Bible says his destiny is? The lake of fire. Exactly. In Revelation. Hell and the lake of fire was not created for humanity. It was created for the devil. That's his destiny. He will be completely defeated one day he will be completely destroyed one day that's what God says about it because he's a created being he's not omnipotent he does not have a divine nature folks we need to start believing some of this stuff that God is more powerful than the enemy you face that God has overcome even death 
Now, when it comes to death, I have the approach of Woody Allen. I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. (laughs) Folks, can I say, don't let the enemy have any place in your life, in your thinking, in your habits, in your family, in your finance, in all those areas that that we leave here and have to live through the rest of the week. Don't give him a foothold in your life. Choose faith over fear. You know, someone, I don't normally wear jewelry, have a wedding ring, that's about it. But someone gave me a little bracelet type thing yesterday and I put it on today because it just fits in so well. For those of you who were here on Friday night, you will have heard Grace lead us in as part of the prayer. And she talked about two elements. She talked about faith and she talked about fear. And I said to her afterwards, Grace, well done. Because that brought two elements together that are really important. Because faith and fear cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. You cannot be in faith with God and have fear in your life. My bracelet says, faith over fear. Folks, don't give the enemy any foothold in your life. Faith will triumph over fear. If God is omnipotent, all-powerful, then the second thing we say, then why doesn't he help me? Because <laughs> that, that's what it boils down to. We can talk in the abstract about the world, but why doesn't he help me? Truthfully, when we look at scripture, there, there, there are some difficult circumstances that the people of God get themselves into. Sometimes it can affect us. Many of you will know the story of Joseph very well. It's told over about 13 chapters in Genesis, from Genesis 37 to, to 50 in particular. And the one thing that marks Joseph out, it says this repeatedly. Joseph prospered because God was with him. Not because he was smarter than everyone else. Not because he was more holy than everyone else. Not because he was a better Christian. But because God was with him. He stood out because God was with him. But do you know the story of Joseph? He gets this amazing dream. Oh, you're all going to bow down to me. First mistake. Never tell your brothers and sisters what they're, what they're going to have to do <laughs> to humble themselves before you. He's sold into slavery. He ends up in prison. He's accused of all sorts. And eventually, eventually, he gets to the place where he's able to reflect and he's able to forgive even his brothers. And, and Genesis 50 verse 20 is this pivotal verse. You intended it for evil, but God Intended it for good. That's the perspective we can have of the omnipotent God. It doesn't mean to say that we won't go through difficulties. It doesn't mean to say we won't face pressures. But if we believe God's hand is with us, if we believe God is in us, then we can overcome, we can triumph. What about Gideon? Gideon is just like us at times. He's hiding in the wine press because the Midianites are coming and they're stealing all the crops again. It's interesting that he's in the wine press uh, doing that, but there you go, that's a different story. And he's in the wine press and, and, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, you know, you're a mighty warrior. And I, the Bible doesn't say he looked around, but I think he did. 
I think he looked around and thought, no, you're no, I think you want the wine press next beside me. Because he actually reflects in, in verse 13 and says, if God is with me, if I'm this mighty warrior, then why has all this happened? Ever felt like that? Ever felt if, if, if God, you say you're for me, then why does it seem so much as against me sometimes? He even said, God, you've abandoned us. God had to teach him some lessons that it wasn't about Gideon's power. It wasn't about Gideon's might. He reduced the army from 30,000 to what? 300. Just to show Gideon, Gideon, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not our own strength, folks. It's really not. Hebrews chapter 11, why don't you turn there? Hebrews chapter 11 is, is called the, the story of the heroes of faith. But there's some really interesting things in there. Depending on the, the, the heading of your Bible version, let's say heroes of faith, great examples of faith. And the chapter is all about those who had great faith, but their faith was measured not by great declarations and shouts. Their faith was measured by their faithfulness. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, when it says the just will live by faith, quoting Habakkuk, it, it literally could be translated, the just will live by their faithfulness. So it's not the, just the declarations that we make, oh yeah, we believe God's with us. It's the demonstrations that we live day by day. The just shall live by faithfulness. And in this chapter, he talks about all those people. We'll come to verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And sometimes when you hear these great stories and you see these examples in Scripture... You forget that some of these people died still believing. They didn't get what they promised. They didn't see everything. Did they end up bitter and twisted? No. Why? Because they had an eternal perspective. In fact, Hebrews says they, they, Moses was willing to suffer ill treatment for a better eternal kingdom. He had an eternal perspective and he knew God was able to do something. But let's go on to, to verse 32. I want to read a slightly longer passage. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, David, Samuel and all of the prophets. By faith these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Stop there for a moment. That's like some of the books that we see. Ten miracles before breakfast and how you can have them. Have you ever read those type of books? Because they, they promise all these things and, and we end up thinking, well, there must be something wrong with me. 
Because I've prayed, I've believed, but I'm still having the battle. But you see, that's not the end. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, their backs were cut open with whips, others were chained in prison, some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, we think that might have been Isaiah. Others were killed by the sword, some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received what God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. Do you realize that that community aspect is so important? God said they didn't get everything that they wanted and believed for because of you, for your sake, so that we together could be made perfect, that we together could believe in Christ, that we together could believe in the hope of eternal life, that we together could believe in the resurrection. We can believe that his power that his strength, that his grace is sufficient for every surprise in life we encounter. For every ministry that we're challenged to undertake. For every trial that we face and we wonder where God's presence is. The power of the good news is that we can be free. That Satan doesn't have to have anything on us or in us. That God in his omnipotence is able to sustain us, equip us, energize us, and empower us for life, ministry, and service. Why? Because he's almighty God. He is God almighty. He is the omnipotent one. That's why we can choose faith over fear. You're not getting the bracelet, but you can have the phrase. <laughs> That's why today we can choose faith over fear. I'm going to play a song. Many of you will know it. It's, it's actually 40 years old. When you hear it, some of you will find that incredible. It's a song that's called El Shaddai. It literally means God Almighty. And it goes on for a few other Hebrew words. And they simply mean God Almighty, Most High God, I love you. So if you don't know this song, you can enjoy it. Beautiful words. But let's come back to that place of God Almighty in our lives. Thank you, guys. Shaddai, El Shaddai, Er Kom Kona Adonai. 
Let's have a a moment of stillness as we reflect. Kids as well, you have been looking at God the Almighty. You can take a pause, you can take a moment of stillness too. To consider that He is the El Shaddai. He is the Almighty God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. You can call on that name today. You can choose faith over fear today. Father, we thank you and we bless you that you are Lord God Almighty. Very creation bears witness to your eternal, invisible qualities. You are the immortal God the only wise God, the king who lives forever. Father, once again, we choose faith over fear and we come back to the place of loving, worshipful obedience. We choose to follow you. We choose to trust you. We choose to believe that you are the El Shaddai. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I'm going to play that song again a few minutes as we close. I'm just going to do some announcements and then we'll, we'll play the song and have some tea and coffee together. As always, if you uh, would like prayer, then uh, come to the front and some of the guys and girls will be willing to pray for you. If you're online, um, you can put something in the chat or email us, uh, social at newlifecrawley.church, uh, and we'd be happy to pray for you and connect with you that way as well. So as always, if you are online, there's a, an opportunity for you to connect online with us, newlifecrawley.church forward slash connect. Um, for those of you who are here want to update your information, you can do that online or give us a contact card as well. One of the things we've been talking about, as we, we always do, is in this little mini-series on giving, is talking about tithing. Because sometimes people have questions, very real questions, that they want answered. And one of the ones that has come up to me over the years is, well, well my spouse do- doesn't believe in tithing. What should I do? I want to honor God. Well, the Bible clearly says that a couple is one flesh. And so we're not looking to bring disunity into that. We're possible. We should live in agreement. Uh, and we should try and pursue that unity. So couple of things that we can do in response is that, that we can pray that the Lord will begin to bring our spouse into that place where they understand stewardship is our responsibility. But very practically, a second thing that we can also do is if we have our own independent income, then we could seek agreement to tithe on that income, even if they don't want to give to the church. So I think tithing is, is very much a hard issue for us. It's very much something that, that if we want to do it, we'll find a way. So we encourage you to give. As some of you know, who were, we were at the uh, members meeting recently. One of the decisions that we felt strongly as trustees and as leaders is that we sh- should start paying carry something. Because for the last year that Carrie's been working full time for the church, we've given her gifts where we've been able to and all of those things, but we haven't paid her. And so we felt we needed to take that step of faith to do that. So from this month, we'll be paying her nowhere near what she's worth. Hello, buddy. Nowhere near what she's worth. But we have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. And so we're taking that step of faith. So if you benefit from the ministry here if you benefit from the work if you benefit from what God does here then I can encourage you to give and to start tithing and to honor the Lord in your giving I know what you're after (laughs) and I think Keegan might be upset if you do he's the man in charge he might let you play afterwards we'll see but can I encourage you as we take, take those steps of faith can you respond to that we want to be able to do effective ministry as we do that. There's a number of ways you can do that. Uh, you can do that through the envelopes at the back. Many of you give by standing order, we know. It's really helpful to us. It helps us plan effectively. Am I going to have to be quarterback here? <laughs> no. Come on, someone. There is the envelopes, the, the QR codes that you can scan online. We have secure. You can do it through the app. There's lots of ways that you can give. I encourage you to give for the sake of the kingdom. Next Sunday, we have our African Prayer Sunday. So for those of you who have your African get-ups and colors, and that includes white people, because I know some of you do, if you have all your garb, let's come full on Africa next week. There's going to be dancing. I'm fairly sure of that. 
There's going to be some singing. There's going to be some rejoicing. We may even get a few hankies out, Josie. Huh? So let's come really ready to engage in worship. It's a bring and share. So bring something to share. And uh, we'll, we'll stay behind afterwards. And uh, as we release uh, the Uday family as they head up to Sheffield. We have a special treat for you that I can't say too much about, can I, Amara? But next week we have a special treat for you. So come along, bring some food. Let's have a great morning together as we worship and seek God. One of the things we mentioned last week is our I Am Andrew invitations. Um, and the previous week we mentioned it as well. At the end of August, we're going to the Excel Center. If you click on our website, uh, one of the slider, one of the images, uh, you can now book on your place on the coach. So if you intend to go, the idea is that you really invite people, people who are thinking about faith, people who might need to hear the message. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we asked you to, to pledge to pray for at least one person on your list. If you weren't here for that, we have plenty of those. Begin to pray now. Because Jesus says, before you talk to people about God, talk to God about people. So we're encouraging you to pray. We're encouraging you to bring. So there's four steps in it. Pray. Write the name down of one person you know. Bring them. At the end of August, as well as the Saturday 26th, uh, we're going to have a barbecue on the Sunday the 27th, the bank holiday weekend. And that'll be an opportunity for you to do that. For you, it may mean sharing time uh, with non-Christian friends. It's good to do that. Jesus did not isolate himself from people. He actually embraced people, which is why he was called a friend of sinners. Why? Because he was a friend of sinners. People liked hanging out with him. He wasn't miserable. So we encourage you to bring and to follow up. Invite them. Go and offer to get them. Bring them to lunch afterwards. Do something. Whatever it is, there's four steps that you can do in sharing the gospel and being that Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. So let's do that together. Is that us? Are we done? Is that the announcements? One final thing that you should have had on your seat uh, today is summer events 23. Because do you know what I've, I've discovered in 30 years of ministry? This is not great revelation. This is not great theology, but it's true. No matter how many times you announce something, you could say it seven, you could say it 10 times. Somebody, not looking at anyone. I'll even close my eyes. Somebody will say, I never knew about that. Well, there's no excuse. All the events that are here over the summer, all the stuff that we're talking about and have talked about repeatedly over the last few weeks, they're on those. We have about 250 of those done. So there's things there that may be relevant that the art club that's restarted here, uh, the barbecue, the summer picnics for families. There's lots of stuff on there that you can engage with, that you can get involved with, that you might have a neighbor or a friend or someone at the gym that you think this is relevant for them. Please do feel free to take one or two and invite people to some of this stuff over the summer. Everyone got one? Let me see. The Bible talks about a wave offering before the Lord. It's in the Old Testament. I can show you. Can I have your wave offering, Harold? 
Waiting on Harold. There you go. Harold's got the double portion. So there you go. No excuse. Take it with you and use it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious towards you and give you peace in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless. Bye.